Welcome to Everyday Motherhood, the podcast that inspires you to pause, connect, and play more every single day. The podcast that's focused on you, the mom, to help you fill up your cup and rediscover the joy and love in your everyday life. We can't parent alone, and parenting is too serious to be serious all the time. Thanks for being here. My name is Christy Thomas. I am the founder and developer of PlayForLifeMoms.com. Let's jump in. Hey, it's me, Christy, and I just wanted to jump on here and introduce the amazing woman that I had an interview with. Her name is Rachel Pollard, and she is a wife to a talented and hilarious husband and mama to four kids who test limits, push boundaries, and explore life with exceptional curiosity. Um, So a big part of Rachel's story was that she was plunged into the world of therapeutic, trauma-informed parenting after they adopted They grew their family biologically, and then they adopted. And after 10 years of learning, she now works to help the community and the world to become more trauma-informed, including churches, public schools, foster and adoptive families. Rachel is a co-founder of the Redeemed Network, and she's starting a Christian life coaching um, community called Imperfect Life Coaches. And I will put all of that in the show notes below. I can't wait for you to meet her. It was so much fun to chat with her. Welcome to Rachel Pollard. She was invited on by request because you lovely listeners told me I needed to talk to her and you are exactly right. So I want everyone to say hi to Miss Rachel Pollard. Hey guys. (laughs) Podcasting is a little bit weird right? Because you're like talking to yourself. But Rachel and I are on Skype and I can see her lovely face. She's got a fun scarf on and earrings. She's just such a doll. So thank you for coming on. And can you tell us a little bit about you and your family? Sure. Um, My husband and I have been married for 27 years. Um, We got married when we were 12 in Oklahoma. It's legal. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I was like, I have a 12 year old. No, no, no. (laughs) Just kidding. We got married right out of high school. Um, He was active duty Navy and um, we lived in Washington state. We moved to Georgia. We moved to Florida. We moved back to Georgia, moved back to Washington state. And in that journey, um, we had um, two kids pretty early on because we were young and was like let's get this family thing out of the way so we can go gallivant around the world whenever we're in our 40s and then seven years later we had um our first son and um then we decided that god was leading us to grow our family through adoption um and so we weighed all of our options and decided um that the lord was really calling us to um foster care So we adopted our youngest son, who is now 12, through foster care in the state of Georgia. And he's been with us for 10 years. Wow. That's really cool. So we have a 24-year-old daughter, a 22-year-old daughter, who are off doing their own thing. One of them's active duty Navy now. Um, And then we have a 15-year-old son and our 12-year-old son. Still at home. We homeschool and... Um, love on until 
it's time for them to move on too. So we'll be gallivanting in our 50s instead of our 40s. <laughs> yeah, that is such a neat thing. So we have actually lived in a lot of the same places and I think same time periods almost. And we have friends in common, even though I don't think I actually knew you while we lived in Washington State. So. Yeah, I'm not sure. I will tell you honestly that that last tour in Washington was a little blurry. <laughs> I understand. I had a toddler and like early kindergartner and first grader. So my life yeah. season was way different than yours, too. Yeah, I was at the other end of that. My husband <laughs> deployed. My daughter went to Belgium for a year. My other daughter went to high school all within, I mean, college all within five days of each other. So. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, you were. There was a little emotional stuff going on, but at the other end of the spectrum from where you were. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Okay, so you have opened your hearts. You had kids early. You thought you were going to gallivant the world at 40, but then something happened. So, how did you hear the calling? How did you know things were shifting for you guys? Um, So, we. We made, we kind of made this decision to have our son because it was kind of like a now or never kind of thing. And God, you know, we laid out the fleece and God showed us that 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 was the right choice. Um, But um, we knew going into it that that would be our last biological child, but we weren't real sure that that was our, the end of our family. Mm -hmm. Um, And so through a lot of, you know, prayer, but also just circumstantial, like God really um, bringing people into our lives who were encouraging in the world of adoption, who were in the world of adoption themselves. Um, We went to a very small church at the time. Our pastor adopted, um, one of the deacons adopted, all kind of um, internationally in a very um, short period of time. And kind of all along the way, I was like, I know God isn't done with our family yet. And my husband um, Eldon, he loves our kids and he loves kids and he loves God. And he, but he was just scared because he was like, what if it doesn't work? You know, what if we fall in love with somebody and, you know, God, then God says, no, like, I don't know if I can recover from that. And so we, um, so I just told him, I was like, listen, there are kids out there who don't have what we have to offer, but I am willing to you know, take some time in prayer and make sure that this is where we're supposed to go. Um, So I'm not going to talk about it anymore. And it took about five months of just kind of being quiet on the subject and being in our own space. And um, eventually my husband came to me and said that he just really felt the call of the Holy Spirit that we were supposed to adopt. And he said, maybe I'm just supposed to be obedient to it. And it'll never happen. Maybe we'll adopt five kids. Like, I'm not sure. But so we just stepped out and it was almost exactly a year later that we got the phone call that we had been matched with our son. So it was, uh, it was, you know, definitely the Lord working in our lives to, you know, open our hearts to the exact right thing. Um, even now, 10 years later, when we think about the hard parts of it, we know that we didn't make a mistake because we know that, you know, we were called to do the thing, so. So did you 
foster, then adopt? How did this work for you? Because it was so a non-international adoption for you. Right, one. right. Um, so for us, our story is a little bit different. Um, most foster care systems through the counties and most states don't work this way anymore. Um, but in the state of Georgia at the time, there was a huge foster to adopt campaign going on. And so they were really looking for people who were interested in adopting to engage in the foster care system. Cause a lot of people at the time were choosing to not adopt kiddos that they were caring for. Um, and one of the reasons behind that is because um, a lot of the kiddos that are in the foster care system, once you adopt them at the time, you didn't get um, state support anymore. And so um, when you have kiddos who have high needs and then you're the one that's financially responsible for them, um, that can be discouraging. It can be a very scary idea yeah. to take on. Yeah. And I'll be 100% honest with you. The fact that we were in the military and knew that we had insurance and knew that we had a support system in place was what motivated us to say yes to foster care adoption. Yeah, because my mind is blowing, like for my own biological kids who have gone through speech therapy and other things that are just, you know, kind of normalish mm-hmm. things nowadays. But we have a great healthcare system being a military right. family. And I can't imagine just the normal things we've gone through and then taking on a kid that you know has more. Right, right. That technically, by definition, in the state of Georgia was not considered special needs. Now, looking back now, it's been 10 years. A lot of those things have changed. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, you don't have a kid that's been in the foster care system that it doesn't have some sort of effect from that. I mean, we look at ACEs and having been in foster care is an adverse childhood experience. Right. I was going to pause there for a second for you. So when you say ACE, you mean the score of adverse childhood experiences, right? Exactly. Exactly. And one of those um, questions is, did you spend time in child in foster care as a child? So, you know, automatically their score is one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then why were they in foster care? Right. There's going to be more to the score. There's going to be more to that. Mm-hmm. And then if, you know, but this work in ACEs is this work in, in trauma is so f- new, mm-hmm. you know, so we didn't know what we didn't know, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which is probably a good thing. You know, the Lord sometimes saves you from yourself. <laughs> For sure. So I, I will give a full disclaimer, right? Like that's my favorite line about what people ask me about submarine life. And Absolutely. I'm like, I don't want to know anything. I just give the kiss goodbye. Don't show me movies. Don't let me read books. Yeah. Like, I can't yeah. go there right now while he's active yeah. duty. Exactly. Exactly. You don't I... need to know all the time. So right. maybe that's the lesson someone needed so far in this podcast. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, you just do the best that you can that, you know, like your tagline, which is also very similar to what my best friend and I have always said to each other, we are not perfect parents, but we are the perfect parents for our kids. Absolutely. You know, so um, I am Nicholas's perfect mom. You are. In this situation, Mm -hmm. like, even though I don't feel like it. (laughs) So how old was Nicholas when he came to your family? He was three and a half when he was placed with us. And then our um, adoption was finalized shortly after he turned four. Um, And 
we stayed in Georgia for a couple years after we adopted him and then we moved to Washington State. And one of our motivations for doing that is we lived, like I said, in a very small town. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't have a lot of those external supports that we needed. And having lived in Washington State previously, we knew that we would have better access. Um, So we chose to move back there so that we could hopefully get some more services. And um, although our level of care didn't increase that much, the big thing that we learned in Washington was that we weren't alone in this journey. And that one of the biggest things that we really were able to connect in was um, being trauma-informed in our parenting and um, allowing that to develop into healthier connections through things like playful interaction and shared control and um, catching act, you know, catching behavior when it's low. And um, that's not really like, we didn't have to think about that with our biological kids. It was just kind of a natural part of parenting for us. Um, But really being intentional in our parenting with him through that lens um, is really what we learned while we were there because there was a great um, community in the Seattle area mm-hmm. um, of foster and adoptive families that, you know, I'm still a part of, you know, through social media and connection with other people who are walking through the same thing that you're walking with definitely makes the journey um, a lot easier. So have you seen the movie Instant Family? Absolutely. So we we actually got to screen that movie here in Virginia with the governor um, before it came out. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, so we were in a, um, you know, older theater in downtown Richmond that was all fancy and cute. And the room was packed full of social workers, foster and adoptive families, people who had been impacted by foster and adoption and foster care and adoption. And there was not a dry eye in the house. We were all laughing so hard at like all this stuff. And we just, that's definitely like you walk away from that movie and you're like, this person has walked this journey. Like they totally get it. Like there's nothing in that movie that is unrealistic. (laughs) That movie I bawled multiple times in that yes. movie, right? Yes. Um, if you haven't seen Instant Family, it is on Amazon Prime right now for like free streaming. Because um, I it's just watched so it in like the last week. I just rewatched it because I knew I was going to talk to you and I wanted to like have a brain. valid experience. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know much about foster and adoption. It's very guarded system in a lot of ways. Like we've donated PJs to foster kids at like, you know, foster care system or during the holiday season, but it's not something people talk about. Yeah, it can be, you know, there is a lot of stigma around it still. Um, And that's one of the things that we're doing at Redeems Network is trying to kind of open up, like, you know, open that shell a little bit and let people um, see that, first off, there's made, you know, places that people can plug in really easily. Like, donating PJs is great. Um, Taking coffee to a foster mom is even better. Absolutely. You know, um, signing up to bring them dinner once a month 
consistently like that's that's huge that is very huge um and but yet small Mm -hmm. like a family can easily do that and be you know take donuts and coffee to your social workers at the you know ghs office they are going to be floored i promise you they're going to be floored um to just receive love from the community in that way um and here in the state of Virginia, at least, and I think this is probably consistently nationwide, there's a 42% turnover in foster care workers. That makes so, complete sense in terms yeah. of stress level. Like, I know the retention of public school teachers keeps going down. So I can't yeah. imagine that foster care yeah. be an easier situation. And just like with teachers, that affects so many things. You know, to have a change in workers and um, for the kids and for the parents and, and, and the biological parents, you know, they're working a plan and they need someone who can come alongside them and really help them meet those goals so that they can get their kids back. You know, family preservation is the number one goal of foster care. And if they're not consistent in their, you know, interaction with DSS, it makes it really tough. Well, thank you for that simple action right there. Yeah. I don't think I've ever thought of reaching out, especially as a homeschool mom, right? Like, Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, the Department of Family Services is this scary ghost. And you just, you know, your two-year-old wanders down the street for a minute when someone says hi. Like, you know, you have this boogie monster appeal Yeah. To a lot of us that we're scared of losing our kids. We've read about stories that seem silly about like moms at parks and then the mom getting in trouble. So thank you for suggesting that because it's a really misunderstood. It's not it's not seen as a helper like a police officer would be. Right. But they are. They absolutely are. And, you know, that's part of that connection right in your community and those people are people too you know they they chose to do this job because they want to help people they want to help families they want you know they want to help kids they want to help vulnerable kids in your community and um, being a good citizen is connecting with kind of every aspect of your community and um, that's a great way to do it okay so let's get back to you have this kid you've adopted this four-year-old and you're interacting with him and you're realizing that trauma is here and trauma is living in your house and stirring up issues right like not just for your kid but from like you your story right so So what happens for you rachel so um when i became a parent you know 24 years ago i had some hard and fast parameters that i was not going to you know overstep certain boundaries have certain actions have a certain attitude and when um the sweet little blue-eyed blonde-haired little boy came into my home and began to act in a way that um really triggered some unresolved things in me i didn't know how to connect with him in a healthy way. Um, we didn't know how to play with one another because a lot of our um, issues were the same. 
Um, and so our coping mechanisms were the same. Um, and so then a lo- for both of us, a major uh, coping mechanism is avoidance. So the thought of playing with one another or being playful with one another wasn't fun. Um, and so we just developed this really bad um, habit of avoiding playful interaction with each other. Um, and so that has really been something that over the last couple of years through encouragement from you and, you know, through certain therapies that we've been involved in, we've, um, really tried to kind of bring that back into our relationship and it has made a phenomenal difference in the way that we interact with each other in other areas too. So it's been great. Can you tell me more about that? You said that there's an attachment style called avoidance. Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, we all have an attachment style and, um, one of those attachment styles, you know, is avoidant. So you might see this in relationships that you have with people when you're like, so tell me about your childhood. And they're like, oh, it was great. And then change the subject. They generally probably have a, an avoidant attachment style. They're not going to get real deep. They're not going to get, um, they're not going to want like personal um, connection with very many people in their lives because that's that's really tough for them because it hasn't been something that's been demonstrated um, in a healthy way for them. That's super interesting. How did you learn it? So did you learn about this because of your network in Seattle that helps you? Yeah, so um, Dr. Karen Purvis um, had, with Dr. David Cook through Texas Christian University developed a um, parenting model called trust-based relational intervention and so it's tbri for short and um they hold a tele uh, conference every or a summercast every year called empowered to connect and so i've attended and hosted that several times over the last few years and um, through that material and um, teaching i was able you know able to learn the different attachment styles and then how our attachment style as a parent with our parents affects our parenting and attachment styles with our children. So, um, through, you know, there's some, some great resources through TCU, but also, um, Dr. Dan Siegel and parenting from the inside out. That was a great resource to kind of read through that and understand like, oh, (laughs) my pathways were connected this way and I need to retrain them so that I, you know, can connect with this kiddo in a different way. So, and that's been an interesting dynamic too, is understanding that I, I can't parent each of my children exactly the same. Can you repeat that one more time? (laughs) Someone needs to hear that exact line for some freedom here. All of my children the same, and even my biological children. To some degree, you have to have a you know a different kind of approach because you have to take into account their personalities Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. But you can have like this baseline, like household, Mm -hmm. you know, standard with with your kiddos. But when you have a kid from a hard place, like that baseline might need to shift and there might need to be a divot or a peak 
in it for that kiddo um, and getting over your own perfectionism <laughs> can be a struggle when it comes oh, yeah. to that. Um, so that has been a huge learning curve for, um, for me personally. So when you do lean into connection through playfulness, what are some ways that made it a little bit easier to dip your toe? Do you remember like the first type type of thing? Yeah, definitely for us um, having um, someone there to kind of model for us. So having, we have a family coach. Mm -hmm. um, And so um, having that family coach kind of come alongside us, she's not on anybody's team. She's Mm -hmm. on team Pollard. Um, And so she has really for the last um, couple of years, just really encouraged us in areas that we probably wouldn't have, you know, done naturally. Um, but we've brought a lot of board games back out that were tucked away for a long time. Um, some cooperative play, not necessarily. That's That was kind of the first thing we had to figure out was compet- competition wasn't a good thing for us. We needed to do more cooperative stuff first. That makes sense. Because um, we needed to have shared control. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's what we do with our kiddo, our, our little guys, right? Like we take care of all their needs and then we kind of co-regulate each other mm-hmm. and then we give over-regulation to them to like self-regulate mm-hmm. and we step in when they need it. So we kind of had to learn that with like a preteen. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so cooperative we, games, I think cooperative yeah. games are kind of on the rise in the adulthood space too, like uh-huh. pandemic, there are some hard cooperative games that are being sold nowadays. There are and, board games. And that's something else to kind of keep in mind when you have a kiddo from a hard place, you kind of have to do some subtraction on their age. Like my little guy is a, a, almost a teenager, but we, we are definitely not doing <laughs> the same things that other 12, 13, 14 year olds are doing. We're doing more, you know, phase 10 and spot it you know when we are getting into the comp- competitive things yeah. um not quite so much settlers of Catan or <laughs> totally makes sense no because yeah. i think that we have this really weird idea of what what makes fluency happen i was just mm-hmm. talking to a neighbor who has i'm gonna have her on but she has her phd in reading education and she was telling me that, you know, a reader shouldn't read a book unless they know 95% of the words in the book. Right. Like, that's not what you see nowadays because everyone's reading for AR points and things like that. You're reading above your level and that's where frustration happens. Absolutely. So that was like my big aha moment the other day, Mm -hmm. just sitting in the lobby of piano lessons, talking to this wonderful woman She's like 95% of the words should be recognized. And I've been thinking about that, how if 5% is the frustration level, like that's a really easy carryover for that's things overcomable. like That's overcomable. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So kind of the rule of thumb is you take the kiddo's age of experiencing the trauma um, and this could be this could be in your own family. Um, something that we don't think about, especially as military families, is 
you got to look at deployments and separations and all of that stuff. Those are traumatic events too. Unfortunately, it's heartbreaking to think of, but it is. It is. Um, and then, even with a loving tender foster family that's still separation and non-permanency so if you take the time they spent in foster care and the time they spent experiencing the traumatic events and kind of subtract that from their chronological age mm-hmm. you have more of a you know a emotional maturity uh snapshot okay it's really interesting Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that the idea that trauma has to be something only associated by a foster kid, like that, we should wipe that no. idea out, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, trauma happens. Every relationship is going to have some sort of trauma. Yeah. I mean, you have acute trauma mm-hmm. and you have ongoing trauma, like acute trauma could be a natural disaster, a death in the family, you know, uh, 9-11. Mm-hmm. You know, those are all traumatic, one-time, big things. Okay. Um, and then you have ongoing trauma, you know, reoccurrent trauma, like neglect or abuse or right. deployments. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Such, no, it, it, guys, if we're recording this on January 10th, I'm going to put the date in here because that's an important time to know right now because right now there is so much junk going on in the world in terms of military stability. Um, right. And being both retired military and active duty military, we are well aware of the trauma and the humanity of each each military member, right? Mm-hmm. Like each, each person getting deployed is leaving something behind. Mm-hmm. And that something is a someone. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, and it's been an interesting perspective as a military parent, you know, to walk through that with my active duty child too. So it's, yeah, it's heavy on both of us. It is. It is. (sighs) There is trauma. There is trauma, even if your kids are always with you growing up. Right. And, but here's the light, right? Yes. Tell us. We Make have us counter- feel better. Yes. We have counter aces, right? We have resiliency, actual self care, not pedicures and massages builds resiliency. And so that's surrounding yourself with people in your community that are going to help you, um, overcome the negativity that's being poured in through the traumatic experiences, teachers, neighbors, um, the faith community, um, people who have consistent caregivers in their life, even if it's not in the home, Mm -hmm. you know, a consistent grandparent. Um, So there are definitely ways to overcome the negative effects of trauma. Not that it'll necessarily cancel those things out, right? Mm -hmm. My traumatic experiences were my traumatic experiences, but I had enough counter aces. You know, I had supporting um, teachers. I had friends. I had family, you know, family of my friends who took me under their wing. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a very active faith um, and a great community that came alongside of me. So as I was making some decisions and choices, I had great examples to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
that's the importance of community and connection with the people and, you know, around us to help. That's actual resiliency. That is fantastic. That is important to know. We have this space. You're trying to play with your son. You're going and playing cooperative things. You're being aware of this trauma and trying to build resiliency in him. Uh-huh. What, if you are listening to this and now feel like, oh, I've got work to do on this, where would you guide us, Rachel? What would be your first step? Oh, that's a great question. So the first step I would say for moms and dads who are in the middle of this is give yourself grace. If you're considering going down this journey, I would say build a great community, engage in the system, engage in the community now. Um, You know, there's ways, like we were talking about Mm -hmm. earlier, there's ways that you can support the people who are already on the journey. Um, But yeah, so first, give yourself some grace. Mm -hmm. Um, That whole, you aren't going to be a perfect parent. Yes. (laughs) And that's okay. Um, And then the very next thing I would probably say is, it's okay to say, uncle. If you need to step back and and say, you know what, <laughs> I need help. I need professional counseling. I need a friend to bring me coffee once a week, and I'm gonna have to ask because people aren't asking me. Yep. Um, I need help with my laundry. I'm gonna have to m- hire a lawn service. Like I like build that support system however you can. It's not. Um, you know, it's not a lot different than being a military wife. Sometimes we feel like we are Navy wives and we can do it all. We don't have to ask for help. And that's a lie. Um, so kind of, I kind of figuring out what, it, yeah, it's like being a new mom, right? But you're, if you're, especially if you're, we have all this idea of invisible, invisible scaffolding that people are going to help us. But sometimes we have to ask and make the scaffolding visible so that absolutely, people know how to absolutely. Help. I just went to a, a, a I, I would say try to find a community of other you know like-minded people and plug in. Mm-hmm. I just went to a great um, foster and adoption conference um, at Virginia Beach in November and heard um, Michelle Schneidler speak about um, waving the white flag, and she actually bought us white flags. <laughs> It was like, it is okay. Like, you have permission to say uncle. Wave the white flag. So, um, yeah. Trying to figure out what it is, like, what your immediate need is and and getting that help. There you go. I think that is a huge, a huge piece of wisdom. Because wherever you are, you're listening to this podcast for a reason. And even if you're not looking at foster and adoption or whatever's going on. Waving the white flag is good permission if you need it. Yeah, absolutely. Even before, you know, even before I was on this journey 10 years ago, I had this concept in my brain that I had to be super mom, you know? However, one of the greatest blessings I ever experienced in my life as a working mom with two young kids in school and my husband's deploying all the time, I had a sweet friend who would come to my house 
once a week. I never asked her to do this. She just saw a need and felt, you know, filled it, filled it for me. But she would come to my house and um, fold all my laundry. And I would walk in my house and it would just be all folded, lined up on my couch. And, you know, I, I had to learn to be okay with that too. Yeah. Like give myself permission to not look at that as a failure, but as a, you know, someone saw a need and they filled it and that is okay. It's, it's more than okay. Yeah. We need each other. Absolutely. We were created to be in community. Absolutely. Okay. So I think this is a good spot. We're going to wrap it up right there. I think okay. Just remember that we are created for community. There's community of kids that need more people, right? There's always space in the foster and adoption area if that's what you're feeling called for. So I like how Rachel prayerfully waited because it's a lot to take on. Absolutely. And there's a huge need for CASAs. There's a huge need for, you know, so many other aspects, mentors, especially for kiddos that are aging out of the foster care system. There's lots of ways to engage. So um, just reach out if you need any ideas. I'm happy to help. Excellent. And we will put all of her contact information in the show notes. And when you see this picture on Instagram to go with this, I will tag her and on Facebook. There's lots of ways to reach Rachel. So Thank you for being here. If you could tell a mom a self-care activity, because every episode ends with self-care and play. Do you have any self-care ideas for today? Um, so one of the kind of fun things that's going on in our family right now, we have older kiddos. Um, so we are using Game Pigeon. <laughs> I have never heard of this. Yeah, so it's like an app you download and you can play games with people all of, you know, that aren't in your home. Yeah. So we have two, you know, we have one daughter who lives in Georgia, one who lives in Florida, and then we're here in Virginia. And so we play games with each other through that and um, and use um, silly Snapchat filters when you're talking to your kids. That's That's <laughs> super fun. I love this tip. That's fantastic. Do you have a favorite filter? Uh, um, I really like the one that makes your voice sound like a little girl, you know, like kind of nasally. Uh huh. I can't remember what the, which one that one is, but it's super, super fun to do. <laughs> I like the one that make your eyes pop out and your lips really big. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's one of my favorite filters right there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, filters. Use technology in a yes. playful way together. Don't let technology use you. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so what about self-care? That's a good play idea. Yeah, so my big self-care tip right now is I get a car wash once a week. <laughs> so I signed up for <laughs> unlimited car washes um, at our local car wash, and it's $20 a month. And I go through the car wash once a week. With or without kids, sometimes it's something I use because my kiddo loves the car wash. There's lots of lights and colors and all that stuff, so he really likes that. But when I need three and a half minutes <laughs> <laughs> by myself, I will take the car to the car wash. And then I run the vacuum real quick. And for me, that just, like, clears my head. It's like a reset. 
that is a brilliant use. And you know what I love most about the car wash is that your cell phone reception is unavailable for those three and a half minutes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> However, you might see pictures of me on Instagram using the funny filters while I'm inside all the bright lights. So yeah, because I know it's so much fun. It is like a novel. One of my kids and I, my son and I use it as a date because yeah. you know, the flashing lights and the colorful foam. Yeah. Yeah, and you have a great one in town now. That one wasn't there when we, we lived do. there. We so. have a really fun car wash with yeah. lava. Exactly. <laughs> yep. It cracks us up every time. Yep. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for You're sharing welcome. your story. And people should go watch Instant Family. Absolutely. Please watch it. Please. <laughs> it's the most true thing out there right now. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad they made that movie. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here and have a great week, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for going and leaving a podcast rating or review wherever you listen. That is the virtual tip jar for podcasting. And go check out the show notes so you can go find Rachel and connect with her online. You are the right mom for your kid. You are enough and your kid is enough. Thank you for listening.